We'll look at Galatians chapter 3 this morning. Galatians 3. If you are using a house Bible, that's page 973. Galatians 3. How is a person supposed to be right with God? How can a man be considered right before God and vindicated when God examines and judges humanity in the great judgment before His throne? That, friends, is one of the most important questions in all the universe. It's one of the most important questions that you will ever ask yourself. How can a man be right before God. And that question is fraught with an almost unassailable difficulty when you take seriously what the Bible really says about human depravity. The Bible says in 1 Kings chapter 8, verse 46, there is no one who does not sin. In Proverbs chapter 20, verse 9, who can say, I have made my heart pure, I am clean from my sin. Ecclesiastes 7.20, there is no, not a righteous man on earth who does good and never sins. And many of you know Romans 3.10, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks after God. Verse 23, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Friends, against that backdrop of our sinfulness and depravity, Paul came to the ancient Roman province of Galatia with good news. The Gospel of Jesus Christ. And the good news is simply this, that God justifies sinners through faith in His righteous Son. That's the good news. The good news is that God is favorable to a people who look in faith to His Son for His Son's sake. It is in Jesus Christ that a sinner finds the righteousness that he needs to stand before God. It is by uniting a sinner to Jesus Christ that he is right before God because Christ stands in the place of that sinner. God declares that sinner righteous in Jesus. Salvation from judgment is the free gift of God through His unmerited grace centered in the person of Jesus Christ. That was the message that Paul came preaching to the Galatian churches. It's the message that Ministers of Christ continue to preach today. It's the good news that saved people from all uh, back into the Old Testament, into the age of Paul, and into our day today. Whoever looks to Christ with faith, whoever looks to Christ alone, can be saved. But even though Paul came preaching the good news, there was trouble afoot in Galatia. There were false teachers who came shortly behind the Apostle Paul teaching the Galatians, purporting to teach to them, further truths of the gospel. But their message essentially was that Christ is not enough. That Christ is necessary for salvation, but not sufficient. That you need to go on and be circumcised 
if you're going to truly be a part of the people of God. You need to keep the law if you would truly prove to be good in the sight of God and to be acquitted before His judgment. You needed to keep the ceremonies that God had commanded. And this letter Paul wrote to the Galatian churches in order to set the record straight. We, he says, are justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. This gospel needs to be constantly defended and clarified in the face of its frequent distortions, and no less so today. For it is always the tendency of humanity to fall back into a self-righteousness, into a legalistic view of myself that sees myself approved before God on the basis of my merits in some degree or another. So the book of Galatians is just this this anchor that holds us steady on the gospel. In chapter 3 of the book of Galatians, Paul is arguing for the truth of the gospel. The, The gospel is by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. And he's going to make two main arguments for that. The first is an argument from Christian experience. This is chapter 3, verses 1 to 5. The second is an argument from Scripture. And that's what we've been looking at the last couple of weeks, verses 6 through 14. And if you notice in those verses, between 6 and 14, Paul makes six different citations from the Old Testament. He's preaching to us the gospel according to the Old Testament. The first two citations focus on the patriarch Abraham. This is what we looked at last week. This is verses 6 through 9. But then he goes on and he continues um, after making his point about Abraham. By, by the way, the, 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 when he made these references to Abraham, he was making two essential points. Number one, it is that only those who are of faith who are the true sons of Abraham. Being born into a Christian family doesn't automatically justify you before God. Being born a Jew did not make them righteous. But then his second point related to that is that all of those who have faith in Abraham are the sons of Abraham. So not just Jews, but Gentiles also, those who are uncircumcised. What matters, he says, is faith. And now he continues to quote from the Old Testament, and he's going to quote the Old Testament four more times in our text for this morning from various places in the Old Testament. In verses 10 to 14, Paul is going to make, just take a look now at it, and then we'll read it. Paul is going to make, you see here, four assertions about the gospel. And then he's going to prove each of those assertions from the Old Testament scriptures. And finally, he's going to end down in verse 14 with a conclusion that ties everything back into what we looked at last week, and that has to do with the blessing that God promised to Abraham. So let's read together Galatians chapter 3, beginning with verse number 10. For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse, for it is written, Cursed is everyone 
who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law to do them. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith, rather the one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree, so that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promised Spirit through faith. Now I want to draw your attention this morning to four assertions that Paul makes about the Gospel along with the scriptural proof of each of those. The first three of these assertions has to do with humanity, and particularly our relation to God in terms of His law, His standards of behavior, expectations of us. And these three assertions are going to reveal our great problem. The first of those assertions is found in in verse number 10. Take a look again at the text. Here is the first assertion about the gospel. One, all who rely on works of the law are under a what? Under a curse. That's kind of the counterpoint to what he just finished up in verse 9 with, the blessing of Abraham. He's talking about the blessing of Abraham. Now he's going to talk about a curse. Father Abraham had many sons. He had a spiritual family, those of faith, and he had a physical family. And from that one couple, Abraham and Sarah, came a nation over a million strong by the time of the Exodus. God brought them out of Egypt and right to the edge of the land that he had promised to them. And there, God entered into a covenant with them. A covenant being a relationship that is defined by certain terms and entered into solemnly. God entered into a covenant with His people, and in that covenant He promised great blessings for obedience and fearful curses for disobedience to the terms of that covenant. The last few chapters of Deuteronomy, the passage that Josh read came from there, The last few chapters, chapters 27 through 30-ish, record how God instructed the people of Israel to come right to the edge of the promised land. And there were two mountains, and he had the Levites from six of the tribes go up onto one of the mountains, and the Levites from the other six tribes go up onto the other mountain. And there they were stationed and they were facing one another and their job was to cry out, reciting out loud responsively the terms of the covenant that God had made with the people there and the blessings for obedience to the covenant and keeping covenant and the curses for disobedience. The one recited on the one side the blessings and the other the curses on the other. And at the end of that, in Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 19, the Lord said, I call heaven and earth to witness against you today 
that I have set before you life and death, blessing and curse. This was the conclusion to the giving of the law and the establishing of that covenant with Israel. That is to say that there is a strict works principle that is canonized in the law. If a man would live, if he would be blessed, then he must what? Obey. Obey God. And if he fails, he will come under the curse, the curse of judgment and death. All of this was given to Israel, but it was given to them as a picture, as a picture of an eternal reality. Not merely as um, the terms for entrance into the land of Canaan and the tribal allotment there, but a picture of entrance into eternal life in the new creation, the glorified heavens and earth in which there are no more curses. But Paul says, anyone who relies on his own attempts at obedience to the law is under a curse. And here's his proof. Here's his reason. Look again at verse 10. He's going to do this every time he makes an assertion. He's going to back it up with Scripture. And here's the proof. For it is written, and he's going to quote from that same section, Deuteronomy 27, verse 58, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law to do them. Now that quote is the culmination of the series of 12 curses that God pronounced upon disobedience. Perhaps a curse for every tribe, if you will. A curse. And the Levites proclaimed these curses from the mountain. Curses for, as we read, for idolatry, for dishonoring parents, for taking bribes, perverting justice, for sexual sin. And after every one of these pronouncements by the Levites, all of the people said, Amen. And the last of these curses was a summary then of all of the commands of God. Cursed be anyone who does not confirm all the words of this law by doing them. In other words, what did the law demand? It demanded their obedience. If you obey, you live. If you disobey, you die under the curse of God. And what I want you to see is that Paul is bringing this out as a reason that we are never going to be justified by the law, by our works. Because the law demands obedience. And there are three characteristics of the obedience that the law demands that Paul puts forward to these people. He reminds us all that if you're going to stand before God on a legal basis, on the basis of your obedience to His commands, then your obedience needs to be characterized in the way that the, in accordance with what the Scripture demands. What is the character of the obedience that God demands? Well, the obedience that God demands is summarized, for example, in the answer to the question, in the Westminster Larger Catechism, question 20, that God expects, quote, personal, perfect 
and perpetual obedience. What does God demand? In the first case, He demands personal obedience. Now, there actually have been some modern Bible interpreters who have insisted that the curse here is only a national curse, that it was a curse on Israel as a whole, Um, that the disobedience envisioned here is not the disobedience of individuals, but Israel's national failure. And while there is, of course, a national application, there was an exile of the people from the land because of their cumulative sin, the context of Deuteronomy actually makes it clear that the curse falls on individuals who persist in law-breaking. They are either, according to the law, banished from living in the midst of the people of God, or if they persist openly and rebelliously, they are actually put to what? They're put to death. So these punishments come upon people individually as well as corporately, and God holds them accountable individually. And in the same way, just as personal faith identifies a person as a blessed son of Abraham, so it's personal sin against God that brings a person under God's curse. And personal obedience, then, that the law of God demands. But secondly, the law demands perfect obedience. Perfect obedience. Take a look again at the wording of verse 10. Cursed be everyone who does not abide by what? You might want to underline that who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law to do them. Now the word all doesn't show up in the Hebrew text in Deuteronomy that he's quoting, but it is evident in the Greek translation. And it's also present in Hebrew in the very next verse, which is the verse in our Bibles, it's the first verse of Deuteronomy chapter 28, when Moses says, be careful to do all God's commands that I command you today. It's very clear that when God demands obedience, in order for Him to say, that's an obedient, that's a righteous person, the obedience that He's looking for is perfect obedience. James says in James 2.10, whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of all of it. This is, I think, one of the greatest challenges for people to... Um, accept one of the greatest difficulties for people to accept when they when you're trying to communicate the gospel. Are you saying that I have to be absolutely perfect? I mean, I'm pretty good, right? I'm not as bad as I could be. I, I try my best. I try to do the right thing by my neighbors. I mean, nobody's perfect, right? How can can you, are you saying that God literally demands perfection? James goes on to say in that same text, he says, listen, it's the same God who gave one command who also gave the other. So if you're looking at yourself kind of proudly and saying, hey, I've kept this command, but you're breaking that one over there, 
you're still violating, you're still rebelling against the God who made you, the God who gave these commands. Our sins may be quantitatively different, but qualitatively we're all in the same place. We're all rebels against the lawgiver. Everyone, just because of the fact that you might pick and choose what laws you rebel against doesn't make your heart any different toward God than the guy down the street. Every one of us is in the same boat. There is none righteous, no, not one. If we were to do everything that God would, has commanded us, there's no merit in that. That's just simply the, the, uh, like a, a servant who does what his master expects. That's like when you go into work and your boss gives you an assignment and you do the assignment. There's nothing meritorious about that. You're doing what you got paid to do, what's expected of you. God created us. God made us. He has every right to expect us to obey His commands. On purely legal terms then, the only way that any of us is ever going to be justified or vindicated, the only way for a person to be vindicated before God on this legal standing is to truly keep God's law perfect. And our failure to do that is why Paul says that all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. Because there's no one who does. There's no one who obeys personally, perfectly. And thirdly, the law demands perpetual obedience. Perfect, personal, and perpetual obedience. The ESV, I think, somewhat obscures this in the text here in Galatians, but it's there. If you look at the word, wording again of verse 10, cursed are those who do not abide by all things written in the book of the law. You see the word abide? That's the word. That means to persist in something, to continue in something. It's used in Acts chapter 14 of Paul and Barnabas admonishing believers to persevere in their faith, to go on in the faith. In Acts chapter 28, it's used of lingering in one city for two years on Paul's missionary journey. And so I think the King James Version and the NIV capture it when they put it this way. Cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. Who does not abide in it, continue in it, persist in it. In terms of righteousness through law-keeping, in other words, friends, it's not enough for somebody to say, well, I've done really well at certain times in my life. It's not enough to say, I'm doing pretty good right now. It's not good enough to say, you know, I've messed up in the past, but I'm going to try harder from now on. No, the righteousness that comes from the law must obey perfectly and continually in order to merit eternal life. And no one has kept the law like this, right? Who do you know that has kept the law perfectly, personally, continually? There's no not one. And so, Paul says, the conclusion is, all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. Because everyone is is disobedient. And that's where you and I are, friends, right? 
I mean, that's where we are by nature. Let's remember that. And, and I don't know, maybe the Lord has exposed your sin to you in, in a fresh way, and it's all the more apparent to you as you look at the, your life even in recent days, that that's you. Under, under purely legal terms, you stand condemned before the throne of a holy God and a, and a just judge. There is nothing but a curse for you. And Paul makes a second assertion about the Gospel in verse 11. In verse 11, he says this, Listen, No one is justified before God by the law. No one is justified before God by the law. Not only from a negative standpoint are we under the curse for law-breaking, but from the standpoint of positive righteousness, no one is declared by God to have it by the law. Why is that? What's the proof of that? Well, look at the end of verse 11. Here's the proof. For the righteous shall live by what? By faith. That's a quotation from Habakkuk chapter 2 and verse 4. There is, there is, friends, a kind of a bare outward conformity to God's law that does not flow from faith, right? And that, honestly, is the kind of righteousness that most people are trusting in. A kind of bare conformity to the law, to a certain view of morality that does not flow from a heart of faith. And somebody looks at their performance, they say, I must be good enough. I hope I'm good enough. There is a kind of legalistic righteousness a sort of transactional justification. God, I've given you what you want in terms of my obedience and going to church and doing the right thing. Now you give me the salvation that I want. Don't send me to the bad place. Right? There's that kind of mentality sometimes that people have with God. There is a kind of obedience that does not flow from faith. But the righteous lives by faith. Remember that Cain offered a sacrifice to God, just like Abel back in the garden uh, or outside the garden. But Cain's offering was not accepted by God. And here's why God said it wasn't accepted. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 4. Here's the contrast between Abel and Cain. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous. How was Abel righteous in the sight of God? The same way Abraham was. The same way you must be, Paul says. By faith. And it was his act of faith, it was the the, uh, expression of his faith that was commended as Uh, as an evidence of uh, His righteousness that was given to Him as a gift from God. Whatever is not of faith is sin. And uh, so Paul says there is no one that is going to be justified before God by the law because the righteous shall live 
by faith. It wasn't the the, the uh, false teachers were were promoting a kind of righteousness that was a mere external conformity to the law that did not flow out of a real saving faith in God and a, and a, and a dependence upon God's promises, but in a kind of self-sufficiency. And there are many people, listen to me today, there are many people all around this country and around the world who are depending ultimately not on God and on the Lord Jesus Christ for their salvation, but on their religiosity, on their obedience to God in some outward form or fashion. But the just shall live by faith. Paul makes a third assertion in verse, uh, in the next verse there, a third assertion that enlarges on that. He says, the law is not of faith. Now, in Romans chapter 3, verse 21, Paul said that the law does, in fact, bear witness to the righteousness that is by faith in Christ. But what he's getting at here is that the law as covenant does not operate on the principle of faith. The law as a covenant does not operate on the principle of faith. It operates as a covenant of works. And for proof of that, he cites again from Leviticus, in the end of verse 12, he cites again from Leviticus, he says, rather, quote, the one who does them, the one who obeys the commandments, shall live by them. In other words, what does the law say? The law says, do this and you will live. The gospel says, believe and live. If you would come to Christ, friend, on your own merits, then you will find yourself under a curse. Because you will never keep the law personally, perfectly, perpetually. And even an external conformity to the moral standards of God that doesn't proceed from faith in Christ will always fall short of the obedience that God expects. God expects not a bare obedience, but an obedience that flows from faith in Christ. For all of these reasons, Paul says, listen, there is no hope in the law. There's no hope in your works. There's no hope in your religious observances. There's no hope in your rituals. There's no hope in yourself. If you would be saved, and I'm going to tell you that today, friend, if you would be saved, You must look outside of yourself to the God who saves through the Lord Jesus Christ. And it is by faith in Him alone that a man is pronounced righteous in the sight of God. The Gospel, the good news, is seen in the final assertion that Paul makes about his Gospel. This final assertion is not about humanity, but it's about Christ. And it reveals the only hope that there is for cursed people. Look at verse 13. What is the only hope there is for a cursed, disobedient person? Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse 
for us. He took all of the curses for covenant breaking upon Himself. The judgment of God for our sin. And the proof of that, he says, comes from Deuteronomy 21-23, which he quotes at the end of verse 13 here. Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. You remember that in the Old Testament, the body, or sometimes just the head of a person who had committed a crime that was punished by death, the body was often hanged on, on a tree or a pike or a post. And that would be a warning to all of the curse of law-breaking. This person was condemned by God under the judgment of God. But listen, friend, the perfectly obedient Messiah was hanged on a tree. The form of His death was no accident, but it was planned by God. The Son of Man must be lifted up, He said. And the Gospel writer said, He said this to show what kind of death He was to die, planned by God, so that this might be a testimony that the Lord Jesus Christ was bearing the curse of God upon disobedience. This was not the curse for His own disobedience, by no means, for this was the holy and righteous Son of God, but He became a curse, Paul says, for us. For all who believe in Him, for all who put faith and trust in Him. Friend, He bore the curse of God for sinners like you and like me. By suffering the curse, Paul says He redeems us from it. He delivers us from it. He buys us back from it. He delivers us from the tyranny of the curse of the law because of our own disobedience to it. He redeems us from the judgment of God that you and I deserve. Every last one of us. This is the good news. This is the gospel. This is the only gospel that saves. And not only does He free us from the curse, but He also causes us to receive the blessing. Look at how He ends it here in verse 14. He has redeemed us from the curse of the law so that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised Spirit through faith. This is the spirit of life, the spirit of forgiveness, the spirit of adoption given by faith alone to all of those who look to God, who look to the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the spirit who comes upon even the Gentiles, even the outsiders, even the uncircumcised to signify that they are justified before God and reconciled to Himself. Those who were once outsiders are now made part of God's family. And that is the Gospel, friends. Jesus Christ took the curse so that we might receive God's blessing. Amen? He suffered for our disobedience so that we might receive the reward for His obedience. The Gospel is good news. 
it is good news indeed. Christ condemned so that I might be justified. Christ abandoned so that I might be reconciled. The righteous suffering in the place of sinners so that sinners might stand in the place of the righteous before God and be counted righteous in and through Jesus Christ. Not according to the law, not by their own good deeds, not by their own external conformity to God's commands, but from a heart of faith. Faith that looks to Christ who did for them what they cannot do for themselves. On that basis and on that basis alone is any man declared to be righteous before God. And I want to tell you, any other attempt to justify yourself before God on the basis of some perceived standards of performance is going to leave you, if you really take seriously God's law, it's going to leave you at the end of the day frustrated and depressed. Because by the law, no one will be justified because no one keeps it. If you really, I'm, I'm telling you, most people who are attempting to justify themselves before God on the basis of their own goodness haven't taken seriously the demands of the law of God for perfect personal and perpetual obedience. Or they haven't examined very deeply their own lives to see the many and myriads of ways in which they have rebelled against the God who made them. But when you really do, when you really take those things seriously, and all you have is the law, you are brought under such a condemnation as to drive you to look somewhere for deliverance. That's what happened with Martin Luther. This text became for him a saving text. The just shall live by faith. Right? That was all, that was like the watchword of his gospel. The just shall live by faith. It was through Paul that got, that Luther discovered again the words of Habakkuk and the words of the scripture all the way through that the only way to be right in the sight of God is through faith. Through faith in him and his promise of a redeemer. This is the text. The just shall live by faith. The text that Martin Luther encountered as a monk in a monastery studying the scripture. And as yet, he, didn't under, he did not understand it. His conception was that he could be justified according to his own religious performance. And he did. He lived a life of extreme religious obedience. And yet, he was always plagued lest his obedience was not enough. And that really is the question that every person who's trying to justify himself before God has to ask. When is it enough? That's, that's, the, that's the bottom line. When is it enough? That's what plagued Luther. He said, though I lived as a monk without reproach, I felt that I was a sinner before God with an extremely disturbed conscience. I could not believe that he was placated by my satisfaction. And so he was always looking for something more to justify himself before God. And so when the opportunity came to visit Rome, 
which was the center of his religious world, he jumped at it. And yet even there, in the holy city, he did not find that his conscience had any ease. And one day, while he was there, he visited the church of St. John Lateran, and the steps in that church were believed in that day to be um, the steps that were actually from the uh, judgment hall from Pontius Pilate where Christ came to be judged. And so pilgrims would come and they would walk up those, still do, walk up those stairs. And as they mounted, as Luther mounted those stairs, along with these other pilgrims, one by one, stopping to pray at each step, wondering still whether his obedience before God was enough to satisfy a righteous judge. It was then that the words of Habakkuk came to his mind. The just shall live by faith. And that was a real turning point for Martin Luther. When he began to turn from establishing his own righteousness according to the law to receiving the righteousness that comes by faith in Jesus Christ. And he said later, when by the Spirit of God I understood those words, the just shall live by faith, then I felt that I was altogether born again and had entered paradise itself through open gates. And may it be that you and I are truly born again by relying on faith by faith on Jesus Christ alone and not on our religion, our external conformity, our obedience to God, because it'll never be enough, but looking to the righteousness of Christ alone, who alone was obedient who alone inherited the blessings of the covenant and took in His own body the curses for all who would look to Him. Would you pray with me? Our Heavenly Father, I thank You for the opportunity once again to make the Gospel known. And I pray humbly that You would cause the good news to find good soil and come to fruition in the lives of the hearers. I pray that You would take this Word and do with it according to Your will. I thank You that Your Word never returns void, but it accomplishes Your purpose. Lord, please cause it to bring us to salvation and to continue us on in faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. I pray it in His name. Amen.